You're listening to Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show about books, people who read, and how reading at its very best is a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. There is the old philosophical question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Likewise, if you read a book and don't discuss it, have you enjoyed all the perks of being a book lover? I'm your host, Amy. I've been a member of numerous book clubs over the last 25 years and started quite a few. I love asking people what they're reading so that they'll ask me the same. I'm a vintage bookseller, a traveler wannabe, and a fanatic about dogs. And I'm your host, Carrie. I'm an English teacher, a freelance writer, a blogger, and the person whose Instagram feed features more photos of my cats than my kids. Each week, we will talk with a guest who shares the love of reading, how they impart that passion, and what books really catch them on fire. We will also tell you about our literary lives, what books are on our nightstands, and other bookish fun. Welcome. Book lovers, this is the last episode of our first season. We've made it to 29 episodes and hope you've enjoyed the journey as much as we have. We will be rebroadcasting some of our favorite episodes until mid-January while Carrie and I take a holiday hiatus. You will see us back on January 22nd with all new episodes. We would love to hear your feedback on things you liked, things that fell flat, or what you'd like to see us do in the new season. You can always send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram pages, but you can also contact us on the website at theperksofbeingabooklover.com. And as this is our last episode for the season and we're in the middle of the holidays, we wanted to give you a feel-good show. Today, we are talking little free libraries. Have you seen the cute little boxes of all colors and sizes on posts where you just open the door and you can take a book? Is there one in your neighborhood? The Little Free Library National Movement is 10 years old this year, and we wanted to celebrate this anniversary by exploring the movement in our community with our two guests this week. Mary Sullivan is a master builder with Metro United Way who spearheaded the Little Free Library Movement in underserved neighborhoods of Louisville, which now includes 42 little libraries. Joan Dubay is a retired teacher who implemented a little free library at her church and continues to maintain it by adding upwards of 50 books a week to the library. Mary and Joan talked to us about how they first found out about little free libraries, why little libraries were chosen as a way to help local children be school successful, and how this movement is a revolving door of good feels. They wowed us with the surprising number of books being shared. Amy and I are at the Northeast Regional Library with two ladies from the community who are involved with little libraries. Mary Sullivan was the master community builder with Metro United Way and is now volunteer coordinator for little libraries. And Joan Dubay is a retired kindergarten and first grade teacher who is now a little library guru with St. William. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. I'd be pretty excited if someone called me a a library guru. (laughs) (laughs) Mary, tell us a little bit about how you started working with the Metro United Way on Little Libraries. I moved to Louisville 44 years ago to work for Metro United Way. I was in a national intern program that the National United Way had back then to bring younger people into the field of United Way, and so came to Louisville and I had a variety of jobs uh, with Metro United Way primarily focused in volunteer engagement of individuals, corporate group, employees, school groups who was interested in volunteering. And uh, one of my last projects that I worked on from 2014 to 2017 when I retired 
was the Little Free Libraries. I was not one that searched the internet, but you know, sometimes you're on the internet and there's a drop down that says, if you're interested in this, you might be interested in that. And the drop down was about Little Free Libraries in 2014. And I just thought, we gotta do this. This would be great. So that's how I got knowledgeable about it. And then I went to my boss and I said, we gotta do this. The rest is history. And what about you, Joan? How did you find out about Little Free Libraries? I taught high school for a little bit and then moved on to uh, kindergarten and first grade. And I taught reading and I, I love to read. And when I retired, I made a little bucket list of things that I wanted to do. And one of them was starting a little library. And I didn't exactly know what that was gonna look like. I had experienced it. My daughter lived in California and we went to visit and we were on the walking streets in Venice on the beach and I met my very first little library there and I thought this is so cool. So along the way I was thinking about well maybe at a bus stop or some place that people really needed books and then I read Louisville Magazine and it was talking about this initiative that was being helped by Metro United Way, and and they wanted to do it in the 40210 zip codes because there was no public library there. And I went, okay, this is it. So I called me. I said, could we do this at a church? Because I go to St. Williams is in the 40210 zip code. And I went to my community and said, I'd like to do this. And they go, okay, that's fine. <laughs> we'll support it. And the community of St. Williams provides all the books. And as of yesterday, we gave away 7,300 wow. books. Yes, yeah, since we That's started awesome. in June of 2015. So it's supposed to be like take a book, leave a book, like that, but just put on their free books. And it's pretty wonderful. That is amazing. <laughs> and that's just for one. That's free just, little library. That's just for one. And the teenagers at our church, they created a bench. We put the little library right on the property, but where a bus stop is. So now people sit on the bench and read a book. You know, I restock it every Sunday, and people know that. And one woman one morning was sitting there, and she, she said, you know, I just getting some new teeth. I need to eat like pasta. And she said, do you have any other cookbooks besides this cookbook here? And so I ran in and I got a pasta cookbook <laughs> for her. And then she took home the pasta cookbook. And the staff has told me that often people will sit on the depths of the church and they see the parents saying just one book. And I have it sort of organized for young adult readers and children's books and adult novels. And so the whole family takes a book. So I know it's in use constantly. So let's back up just a little bit. And for those who may not know, can one of you explain what exactly a little free library is? I would say in its most basic form, it is a outdoor structure. Most of them are in the shape of a box. A lot of people think they're an over a large birdhouse, which I, <laughs> I don't quite get. But it's a structure, as Joan said, either in front of a church or a residence or a nonprofit organization or schools that books are provided. 
The Metro United Way got into the library business in 2014, and our focus from the beginning, as Joan said, was to have books for the entire family. We believe if children see their parents or older siblings read, they might read, or vice versa, parents see their kids reading. And so we always have a variety, or we always try to have a variety. And anyone could do it. The number one thing is you gotta have a supply of books, and that's a challenge for a lot of little library hosts. So with the free little library, somebody could come and they can take a book some of them ask you to leave a book, but that's not necessarily that, required. That, that is the national model. Take a book, leave a book. In the neighborhoods that, that Metro United Way serves, in all likelihood, we know this from parents and from teachers and from community leaders, in all likelihood, until our libraries showed up in their neighborhoods, they didn't either have books in their home or extra books that they might like. And so we have never said, you got to give us the book back or bring this book back. Usually when our volunteers go to deliver books to the libraries, all the libraries are empty. And we encourage people, if there is a library in their neighborhood, if they have books, they can put them in there. So if I had extra books and I just happened upon a little library, I could just put them in there? Yes. Okay. So most people, whether they are affiliated with Metro United Way or not, most people probably don't have a problem with you adding oh, to their no. book collection. Oh, no. Oh, no. So is Metro United Way still doing the Free Little Library program? Yes. yes. Uh, Metro United Way believes that a quality education has a powerful effect on long-term success for our community. And we're dedicated to ensuring that children enter kindergarten ready to learn and graduate high school prepared for college and career. And so the Little Free Library initiative was something that ensuring that children were ready for kindergarten on time was a focus. And what better way than bringing books to children where they live or where they go to church or where they go for after school activities. But it was a little bit bigger initiative than for one organization. And my boss happened to be in the Bingham Fellows Group, a program of Leadership Louisville. And that year, their focus was looking at programs or a lack of programs west of 9th Street. She happened to end up in a group focused on early childhood education. And the discussion was, how can we do something different? And she said, ah, you all know Mary Sullivan. Uh, and in the group was Gwen Kelly, who is strong neighborhood advocate in the California neighborhood, and Diane Porter, who is retired school teacher, who is now the president of JCPS board. I mean, it was a good group that said, okay, what do we need to do? Gwen, as a resident of California, said 40210 has one of the lowest reading rates. She said, I want a little library on every block. And I said, how many blocks are there <laughs> in California? She said, 40. Wow. Mm. I said, you find 40 hosts and we'll get the libraries. Neither one of us knew what we were talking about. <laughs> there are 15 uh, little libraries in California area. We had a paint day at the Victory Park and invited the neighbors and the kids to come out and paint. They all painted and, and 
painted the libraries in themselves. In the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was our start. So Gwen and others and myself went around and talked to neighbors and got okay that after they were painted that they could be installed in their front yards. And many of those original 15 are still in place. But some were removed for a variety of reasons. But Metro United Way certainly still is in the business, and we, we have 42 libraries that we installed. 31 we provide books to twice a month, and the other 11 are sponsored by different organizations, such as St. William's, where they provide the books. Now, the community is way behind it, and the kids come and look. Believe it or not, I try to make it a very attractive for people to... You know, and I'll put them in before church and by after church. The featured books are gone. Oh, so. right, right, right. We have numerous faith-based organizations that are hosts, and we have seven volunteers that come to Metro United Way twice a month, pick up books, and take them out. They have roots. I'm currently doing a route as someone has an illness in the family. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and there are two libraries that kind of fell off somebody's route that I just do. And I want to institute this and all the others, but one of them has a pad in it for comments. So there's usually, thank you for doing this. We are not anywhere close to a library. Last time I was there, they listed a couple books that said, could I find them for them? And so yesterday it was like, oh, here's one. It's the I Survive books or Who Am I books, and this week we got a 700 books donated, and, oh and my there goodness. was a whole bunch of, I mean, it was like at the end, the last box, they're all, <laughs> I am, I said, oh, I'm delivering tomorrow, this oh, will be great. That's exciting. So I really enjoy being out there in the community, and this is just really an extension of that, and one of the first libraries we installed on Greenwood, a little boy came up and he said, I really like science. So every time that library gets filled, KT gets a science book, we kind of cheat. <laughs> Put it in his door instead of <laughs> But then a couple of weeks ago, his sister said, you know, I really like <laughs> <laughs> They've got their own personal book delivery service going on. Uh, but in that neighborhood, a, a neighbor, an uh, elderly woman came across the street one day, and she said, I really never came out of my house. I never knew my neighbors until that box was put in. I, well, I was going to ask you and, about that, because I have heard that little free libraries promote Neighborliness? Mm -hmm. Neighborliness. Or community. Community, Mm -hmm. in a community that maybe people don't don't sit out on their porches. Almost all the little free libraries that Metro United Way sponsors are in really challenging neighborhoods. Unfortunately, many times on the nightly news, when there's some sort of crime or violence, in the background, I see a little free library. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, that's some normalcy for those families and children, but does bring them out, and they all know when the libraries are going to be filled, and they're like standing there after school. And they just seem cheerful. I mean, I think it's hard to see one of those little libraries and not just sort of smile. They come in different shapes, and I mean, some look like little schoolhouses, some look like little church steeples. I mean, they're all different shapes, and they're a lot of times they're colorfully 
painted. I just think they bring a smile to your face. So I'm curious, for me, and I know our book club has talked about this before, how would somebody who's maybe interested in establishing a little library, how would they go about it? Well, there is a national site, littlefreelibraries.org, and it was started in 2009 by a gentleman who built a library for his mother, who was a retired librarian, and she said, you know, what I'm going to miss the most are my kids and my books. So there is a national organization, and they have plans on there that you can download to build your own little library. Or you can contact Metro United Way, and I can send out the plans that we use. Ours are all, all pretty standard, no fancy towers or wings <laughs> Scroll or, work. or yeah. anything. But they do the job. But if anybody wants to be creative and do their own thing, that's great. They all need to be on a post of some sort. And some people are clever. I mean, some are stuck in flower barrels. So that part is easy. The challenging part is keeping it filled with books. Now, if people have books and they want to donate them someplace, if they have five or six and want to put it in a neighborhood library, that's great. If they have 400 or 200 or 100 and they want to donate them to the little free libraries, they could bring them to Metro United Way. And I want to emphasize here, Metro United Way sponsors 41 in the community. To my knowledge, we're the only organization that has that many. So if you want to give one in your neighborhood, you can go online and against the national website, there's a map that lists those that are registered. Some are not, so just drive around. And Metro United Way has a map for their libraries, and that website is uh, metrounitedway.org backslash program backslash little libraries, or you could just put Metro United Way little libraries and it had come up. So when our book club was thinking about doing it, the other challenge we had was not knowing where we could put one. I mean, we wanted it to go to an area that did not have a lot of access to books, but we didn't know where to put it. So if we contacted Metro United Way, do they have available spots? Sure. Oh. (laughs) That was an easy question. Uh, That's a kind of answer. We have had some individuals and some organizations express an interest in being a host. They don't have the resources or the capabilities to build one or buy one. Mm-hmm. The national site does sell them, but they are very expensive. I mean, three to four hundred. Yes, they were they were pricey uh, if you get it through the company. We have two membership organizations now that the Junior League of Louisville came to Metro United Way and said one of our initiatives is education and early childhood education. So we would like to get involved in the library business. We were just about ready to explore putting libraries in the Russell neighborhood. And so they chose the Russell neighborhood to be sponsor. And there are five little libraries in the Russell neighborhood uh, that they provide books to twice a month. So they started in 2016. So in that time, they've provided 11,000 books. And we've just recently entered in an agreement with Lynx, which is a professional organization for women of color. They're beginning slowly, and they're taking one 
library in the California neighborhood, and I have a second one in mind for them. So that's another option. If a book club or organization wanted to adopt existing libraries, we could give them a couple to choose from, and they could provide the books. Oh, that's or, great. So you or, wouldn't actually have to build it. You have some that aren't being maintained. Oh, no. All of ours are being maintained, but the more we get sponsors to provide the books for, the more books are available for other our libraries and more opportunity that we might be able to expand. Also, you know, people give books, clean out their basement or I don't know you just get books from a variety of ways but in my experience as a kindergarten first grade teacher mostly in the Russell neighborhood for Jefferson County Public Schools it's really important to have culturally sensitive mm -hmm. books as well so I look at that as maybe an opportunity for book clubs like yeah we're going to donate these titles every year Metro United Way has had like a little meeting of all the library hosts first and, and that volunteer has, delivers yeah and volunteer delivers and that has been really fun of, for me and I've communicated to our community that we're really part of something big our community is behind the whole we're going to buy books that have children with black or brown faces in them to donate to the library it's not just you know our giveaway things but a lot of times teachers too have given their whole collections of books to a little library and you just find that those books are the ones that are taken because this is a book about me and that's important it's important for them to see characters that look like them mm -hmm. that's very good yeah. the junior league of louisville is a membership based organization of women dedicated to the community and through this little library initiative, in February, for all their meetings, they encourage their members to bring culturally appropriate books for their little libraries and overflow for Metro United Way. So that has been a great resource. Uh, last year in February, they got 2,000 books. Metro United Way does have an Amazon account listing culturally appropriate books and other age-related books. So that's, that's available to share. Joan mentioned retired teachers. We have gotten so many excellent books of all ages from retired teachers. And a friend of mine, though she's not a retired teacher, she put on her next door mm -hmm. neighbor, whatever, Facebook page, that she was collecting books in May. And a retired teacher gave her, I'll bet, 150 books. And she recently did it again and expanded. I guess she did a couple neighborhoods, but I'm still counting the books. We're up to 600. But I just want to say for those who are listening who are thinking, oh, gee, I've had books that I haven't gotten rid of. We do not take any textbooks, any encyclopedias, magazines, and there are some books that are really too big for the little free libraries. And so if we get books that are too big... You're talking I'm, like coffee table type yes. books? Coffee okay. table type books, or this week we got six 20 by 20 Ripley, believe it or not. They're great books for kids, but they're not going to fit in the libraries. So those books we give to like Boys and Girls Club or a child care center. The adult type books, they're books that come in that we know from experience are not going to 
be taken. We donate them to the Louisville Free Public Library. Some of them, they're in such good quality condition they can use. Others they put in their book sale. And then that money is generated for the library and, and we have a great partnership with the Louisville Free Public Library. So the way I got the idea for this show is that I have a friend who has a high school son who for his Eagle Scout project built a free little library. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if there was somebody who doesn't have the ability to build one of these themselves, I thought maybe there might be other students where they will build them. There are some vocational programs in schools that have explored, but we haven't really gotten too far. The thing is, I don't want to say no to anybody that wants to build a library, but the real key is making sure there's enough books mm -hmm. to provide. And Metro United Way has been very fortunate in this community as far as people, individuals, corporations, school groups, church groups, donating books to us. And I want to give a shout out to Half Price Books. Since 2015, when the first libraries went in, they have given us probably three to 400 books every quarter for little free libraries and the Barnes & Noble bookstores. At a holiday time when you check out and they say, would you like to donate a book? Metro United Way Little Free Libraries is one of their options. And last year we got a thousand books, primarily all youth. And youth and children are the hardest for us to keep in stock because obviously that's who we're really targeting. We usually put 35 to 40 books. That's how many a library, depending upon the size of the books, naturally. So usually the children and youth get the bulk of that. We put 8 to 10 adult books in there, okay. books for adults. Okay, so I, I was trying to figure out, because you were emphasizing that if you have one, you need to make sure you can stock it. So you put 35 to 40 books a week, a month? Twice Wh a month. Twice a month. Okay, that's good to know. We put at least 50 in our library every week. Every week? Yes. Now I understand why you emphasize. I have to admit, I'm sort of astounded by the number of books that y'all are putting in there and also that people are taking. I mean, that's awesome, but so, it's much more than I would have imagined. So in, it'll be five years, we have distributed 126,060 books, not including the 11,000 of Junior League or the 7,300. Or any of them that are, are not related through Metro oh, United oh, exactly. Way because exactly. there are free oh, exactly. little libraries. Exactly, that... exactly. We feel like the little free library movement in Louisville is certainly making its impact. I'm curious because with more books getting into the hands of students in these neighborhoods, do you ever hear from teachers from those schools? We currently have two little free libraries located at schools. We have one at Wheatley Elementary and we have one at Brandeis and both the principals requested libraries. So I just had an idea that might be a, a really neat way for parent-teacher organizations to partner with Metro United Way to help establish some of these little libraries in schools where kids don't have as frequent access to books. So I'm already cooking up something that I'm going to suggest to I, my I, kids' PTSA. <laughs> I just remembered that Central High School has a, a library, and that's one of the junior league ported libraries. And again, that principal was very excited 
to get the library in. And to the point as far as engagement, we have had a number of school groups do book drives. We were unaware that a school that decided as their mayor's give a day project last year that they were going to collect books, which is in April. Metro United Way partners with the mayor for the mayor's give a day project. So on the last day of school, Metro United get a phone call and said, we get all these books, can you come get them? I think there were over 800 to 1,000 <gasps> books. And they were so perfect because they were elementary school and for the summer to get that influx of books was wonderful. But we've had children have birthday parties and say bring a book instead of a present and bring them to Metro United Way. The lemonade stand? The lemonade stand. Metro United Way's been fortunate up until November of last year. We did not have to buy a single book and we were running very low on children's books. But I had these gift cards from kids who had lemonade stands, again, unbeknownst to us, and came in with great pomp and circumstance with this gift card, $100 for Books Million. And so off I went and got books. And that's just those things that are kind of tentacles out into the community that you just don't know how many are being touched by this that come back so Joan, as the person who runs the one at, at your church, I'm just wondering, so what's it like to, to run it, maintain it? How do you get the books? Well, I, I just put out an all call for books, and we got books, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. So my husband is a very good organizer. <laughs> so we sorted the books into recipe books, uh, how-to books, you just start thinking like a librarian, you know, the classics, and they're all in banker's boxes, and they're labeled. And so then when you fill the library, you try to make a balance of available books. When we start running low, I just put in our bulletin, bring a book to church day, and everyone will bring a book. Some will bring bags of books and then my husband and I I call him my the assistant librarian we will <laughs> we will sort all the books distribute them that way I have a little place for young adult novels that I stack on the side I mean I can get a lot of books in, in that and I drive library. by I drive by your library often I've never seen it empty we basically do the same thing I mean the books come in we have a sticker that has the Metro United Way logo on it and then just says, always free. One point I had three boxes of cookbooks. And now we've had people leaving notes, when are you gonna get the next supply of cookbooks? <laughs> and a lot of the how-to books are popular. They are, it's surprising. And holiday books will be showing up in the library starting December 1st mm -hmm. because I have 25 boxes of holiday wow. books. Yeah. So I have a box of seasonal books, you know, and when I when they come through, then I just throw them in there and right. then try to put those out as the so, the featured book. So, Joan, how does it feel to have now been able to check this off of your bucket list? Are you enjoying it as much as what you thought? Oh, I am. Next door to our church is uh, the Deerson Center, and it's a place where 
um, women who have been incarcerated for drug and alcohol abuse, they go for their kind of a final stay, a treatment program that they go through, and they also use our little library. You know, the women there just, they really enjoy that, and at, we do a birthday dinner, groups of people from our church once a month, and they come over to the church, and they sit and have a meal and sit on couches, and I always provide a big box of books. They use the books too. They go through them and if their children come to visit them, they pick out age-appropriate books for their children. They talk among themselves and get different novels and say, okay, if you take those couple, I'll take this. I said, you can take as many as you want, but they only have so much storage room there for themselves. So that's another perk. And then if the people at the church take a book, the children at the church are very cognizant of, you know, they take a book and they usually bring a book and put it in. So it's an evolving door. It is. It's very multifaceted. So I just want to say this whole episode is kind of giving me chills. It makes me just so proud of our community of readers that we have and people with just good big hearts. And so Mary, I want to thank you for bringing this whole program to Louisville. Yes. Well, you're welcome. I'll take credit for it. (laughs) And for Joan for keeping up the one where you are, and I definitely want us to approach our book club again about sponsoring one. Now we know who to call. That's right. (laughs) So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. back with Mary Sullivan and Joan Dubay and I'm here with Carrie too and I'm going to ask her like I always do Carrie what are you reading so I recently finished reading a book with my students and it's one that I've taught a number of times it's called Bell Prater's Boy and on the back I'm looking at it it says uh, reading level 4.7 uh, ages 10 and up so this is the story of Woodrow and Gypsy and they are cousins. The story takes place in 1953. His mother has disappeared, and so he is known as Bell Prater's boy because the story of his mother's disappearance is how he's known. So he goes to live with his grandparents, and so he and Gypsy now go to school together, and you learn some things about the mystery of Bell Prater, where she may have disappeared to and why she disappeared. But you also learn about Gypsy's backstory. And so she keeps having these terrible nightmares. Um, And she says that she sees an ugly thing and it looks like an animal on the floor and it's got blood on it. And so you're reading this story and you're trying to figure out what is this thing that Gypsy sees. It is a wonderful story. It's very funny. The students enjoy this book. I love this book. It has a number of universal ideas, identity, you know, what makes you who you are, appearance. Should we judge people on what they look like? And then uh, another idea is what traps people. Some people are trapped by different situations and circumstances. And sometimes they're just trapped by beliefs that they have in their own minds. So this is a great book for middle school. Some of my students enjoyed it so much that they were very disappointed when it ended and they had to go find a sequel. And apparently there is a sequel. I have not read it. But I highly recommend Belle Prater's Boy. And it looks like this is an award winner? Yes, it is a Newbery Honor Book. 
So I usually try to pick books that have won awards when I teach to my middle schoolers. And when was this published? 1996. So it's an older one, but it's a goodie. So (laughs) I recommend it. What about you, Joan? What are you reading right now? I wanted to talk about a book that I think has been on my top most unusual reads. Yeah. Maybe, you know, or your listeners may not have heard of. And it's called The Selected Works of T.S. Spivet by Rafe Larson. And it was published in 2009. My husband and I actually, we were in upstate New York on a trip with some other families. And we stayed at this author's property for an Airbnb kind of thing. And so I was like, oh, he's an author, you know. So I thought when I came home, I just picked up the book. And I found out that it had been a New York Times bestseller. But it is a story about a 12-year-old cartographer. And the book is a little bit oversized. So all the text is like in a regular book. And then on the side are maps of his thoughts. So it's like there's a little map about how his sister talked on the phone and it had the squiggly phone cord that you carried to the other room or how his dad drank a shot of whiskey or whatever. It's fiction. In this story, this 12-year-old, he drew this fabulous thing that somehow the Smithsonian got a hold of, called him one day and said, you know, we'd like to present this award to you for this fabulous picture of this insect. And he was like, well, I don't think I can come because I'm in school. And they said, certainly your university will let you off, you know, to come and receive a presentation from the Smithsonian. So it is the story about how this young man travels across the United States from Montana to Washington, D.C. It is just fascinating. And all along the way, there's little maps of all his little thought processes. And it was so fun to read. And I actually use that. Our book club, we choose and host. You know, it's always the big pressure to have a really good read that nobody else has read. And I just want to put that book out there because I thought it was fabulous. What ages do you think that it's aimed for? It's an adult book. Oh, it is an adult book. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was thinking that it might be like a young adult or a middle grade. Fascinating. I've never heard of that. What about you, Mary? What kind of things do you like to read? Oh, gee. I guess I would say I'd like to read mysteries, but being the book coordinator for Little Free Libraries and almost touching every book that comes in, my stack of to-read books <laughs> at home. So I, I really have expanded my horizons, and, and one of my friends loves historical novels, and so she gets them and reads them and gives them to me to take to the Little Free Library. Well, then I feel like, oh, I gotta read them first. And so, <laughs> so one of them that uh, she gave me, which was I, Eliza Hamilton, and it is about Eliza Hamilton, is Andrew Hamilton's wife. So, you know, Hamilton musical is coming, you know. And so my friend saw the musical like the first day that was here. And I said, how was it? And she said, you'll be so much better off than everybody else because you have read 
the I, Eliza Hamilton. It really gives a lot of background that had I not read that. And I said, well, I haven't read it yet. And she said, well, no, I guess that's too bad. And I said, well, I got a week before I see that. And she said, Mary, it's like 800 pages. So I was finishing it at 10 a.m. and the show was at 2. But that was really great. It's a thick, big novel like the novel on Hamilton is. But it brought me back to how I used to like to read historical fiction. I remember the first one I ever read was about Abigail Adams, and I was just kind of hooked on that. So that's one area of interest. The other book that I got as a gift last Christmas that I feel like not everyone should read, but certainly anyone in the medical profession, and that is The Life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm. Yes. If you're not familiar with this book, I mean, there is a lot of reports today and for a long time about crimes against people of color. But to have someone basically steal your cells, not tell you, and those cells have given us cures for many things, and it's about her life and her family. The author, she learned about this just as a happenstance in a science class when she was in high school. But just as kind of a passing thing the science teacher said, and that just stayed with her. And once she became an author, she did something like 14 years research on this to write this book. And I had a little difficulty getting into it, but once I did, I couldn't stop. That one is an amazing book. I listened to it on audio last year, and I will recommend that one on audio for people who like to listen to audio books. The the narrator was great, and it was really easy to follow an audio version. Apparently, it's been made into a movie. Oprah Winfrey either produce it or is in it or maybe both oh, but yes I, yeah mm-hmm. so I, I missed yes. the movie so well missed it wasn't out it wasn't at the big theater I think oh. it was on Netflix oh, or Amazon type. but the other one that you mentioned um, about Eliza Hamilton so funny I actually picked that one up yesterday but I took my daughter to Chicago this summer and we saw Hamilton there I totally enjoyed Hamilton but I wish that I had done something like that where I had read that book before I'm going to read it soon so that I get the get the whole picture oh, yeah. yeah 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 Well, Amy, what have you been reading? So I just finished a book that I'm fairly certain that I read soon after it first came out. It's The Bean Trees by Barbara Kingsolver Mm -hmm. from 1988, and it was her debut novel. But I decided to read it again. I didn't remember hardly anything. So if I had read it, (laughs) I didn't remember anything about it. But it was a delightful little book. It's about Taylor Greer, and she's a young woman from rural Kentucky who decides she wants to leave home, head out west, and make her way in life. And her goal is to not get pregnant and marry young like all the other girls that she went to high school with. So she has this old beat-up car, and... She decides to just take off, go west, until her car will not go anymore, and that's where she will stay, wherever her car breaks down. So as she's driving across the country, she stops in Oklahoma at this little diner, and it happens to be on Native American land. And in the parking lot, a woman hands her a child, probably a year and a half, two years old, and implores her to take it. And the woman, in not so many words, indicates that things are not well with this girl, and that no one wants the child. So Taylor doesn't know what to do, so she takes the child and she continues on until all of her tires give out in Tucson, Arizona, and she can't go any further than that. And she finds this used tire store called Jesus's Love. Jesus's Love used tires, and it's owned by this kind woman named Maddie who offers to give her a job until she can get on her feet. 
And in the meantime, she looks for somewhere to stay, and she finds Luann, who's another woman from rural Kentucky, just from a few counties over, who has a new baby, and her husband has just recently left her. So Taylor rents her room, and then they become best friends. She names the child Turtle, and she becomes an instant mother, even though one of the things that she was trying to avoid in Kentucky was becoming a mother. So Maddie, the the woman who owns the tire store, she helps undocumented immigrants who come to the States to get a better life. And there are two that are prominent in the story that, that Taylor becomes very close to. They're from Guatemala, and in their lives they've been threatened, they've been tortured, their child was taken away. And that's another big component of the story, and it feels very current in some ways to lots of stories that we hear about now. In many ways, this is a coming-of-age story. It's the story of love between friends and your community and how you can find love and friendship almost anywhere. And it's a heartwarming story. There's a touch of quirkiness to her characters, And while it deals with some heavy subjects like child abuse and violence against immigrants, it addresses those issues from a place of hope. So I didn't come away feeling weighed down by it. One of the quotes from the book is, in a world as wrong as this one, all we can do is make it as right as you can. There's a sequel to this book called Pigs in Heaven, which I do want to read. And in that book, Turtle is 10. So I'm anxious to try that. So Barbara Kingsolver, is originally from Kentucky. I don't believe that she lives here anymore. That was her debut novel. I've read several of her others, but this one is delightful. Well, on that delightful note, we are (laughs) going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to be asking Mary and Joan their top three. are back and we are going to ask our guests since we have two of them we're going to ask them three questions each so top six Joan you say that you are a locavore can you explain what that is and where is your top place to get locally grown food a locavore is someone who eats what's in season from the area that they live and I've been a locavore all my life I, I didn't necessarily know that I was a locavore <laughs> when I was growing up, but I grew up in northern Ohio, and we had a huge garden, and we canned and froze and chopped and stored every bit of produce from our garden and ate it all year, and also we went to the the local farmers and bought half a cow and a pig and all that, and it was in our deep freeze. So I actually, until I went to college, just never really had any kind of food out of a can. So, you know, I just carried that with me. I really wanted to live out in the country, and my husband is a real city boy. So we have a city house with like a garden in it. And now I shop at the Bartstown Road Farmer's Market. And I've become friends with the, mm-hmm. it's a community there. It's been open 28 years. So we also had a sustainable uh, CSA. CSA. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that I never buy a Costco chicken, <laughs> <laughs> but I try to be a locavore like that and then also extend it to a local vore, which I like to participate in all the things that are in my zip code that I can walk to. So I shop locally, I buy Christmas presents locally, and buy books at the local bookstore. 
etc. So our book club at our holiday party, we've been doing this for a few years. We do like a gift exchange, but it has to be something from a local business made locally or is made by the person. Mm-hmm. And that has been really popular. It makes them unique. And, and so that's been a real positive. So Mary, for you, I know you also like to garden. What is the top item from gardens that you have grown that you're most proud of? Are you a flower gardener, vegetable gardener? Well, I'm really a flower gardener. I love daisies. Uh-huh. And I have a very small backyard, but it's got sectioned off for plants. And I've lived in my house 25 years, and I would say for the first 15, I planted daisies every year either by seed or, you know, getting them and, you know, in a pot and planting them. And they rarely came back. (laughs) And then at year 16, they all came. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. So I had daisies everywhere. I gave daisies. I tell my friends. So you better like daisies, right? (laughs) Stop by if they need some daisies, stop by. But I really, just that opportunity to go out and play in the dirt. Joan, what is the top benefit that you get from personal journaling and reflecting? I love to write. I've always loved to write. And for me, I think that the top benefit is it enhances the experiences that I have. When you have a job and you are working, you are multitasking in your mind all the time. And the gift of retirement is that you have time to reflect. So one of the things that I do is I'm in an organization called Granny's Respond, the Overground Railroad, and we meet. There's two buses that come in a day from McAllen, Texas, from the border, and refugees are on these buses, and we provide snacks and water, and they're there for a half hour, fruit, diapers, etc., coats, whatever the season is. And we have the opportunity to talk to the people. I'm not fluent in Spanish, but one of the members of our team is. And we get to hear stories. Most recently, I've just been writing those down. So when people ask me, why do people come? I just read them a story. So I think the personal benefit for me is that it causes me to step back and think about anything, even things that my grandchildren might say to me or funny things I get from people I just got a text from my uh, a cousin who said I can't talk right now I'm on a silent retreat and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) okay that is like funny so I carry around these little notebooks and I just write down little things that can be story starters or whatever so I don't know I just write to because you need to yeah, yeah 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 So I used to keep paper journals, but about 12, now maybe 13 years now, I've kept a blog online. Mm -hmm. I started it because I had a very hard time adjusting to being a mom. My daughter is 15 and a half, but I needed something. And so I have been keeping this blog for now 13, 14 years, and it still is helpful for me. But what I've found is that because it's public, it serves two purposes. One, it's helpful to other people, other moms who read it, who can kind of go, oh, I'm not alone, I understand. But it's also 
it's helpful for me in that it's public because when I used to write just in a journal, I would just vent everything and it was just very emotional and I didn't really put a whole lot of thought to it. I, I sort of let my irrational brain take over and I didn't let my rational brain parse through it. And so because it's public, I think about it more. It forces me to really think all the way through it and not just have a, an emotional response to whatever has happened. So I feel like the process of doing that has made me a, a more complete thinker in some ways. So I really relate it to that reflective tendency to write. Well, Mary, I know that you like to bake. So what is your top item that you like to bake at the holidays for family and friends? You know, that's a really tough question. And I was falling asleep last night, and I thought, oh, should I talk about the pies or the cookies <laughs> and the coffee cake? So I guess I would say I learned the enjoyment, maybe by observation, of my grandmother. And she was an individual who rarely used a recipe. And so she had this wonderful cinnamon coffee cake that one time when my grandmother was visiting my mother, my mom wrote down what she was doing and kind of passed that along. And for a while, it was the consensus of the family was that I was the only one that made it as good as Mimi, but <laughs> others have equal to surpass me. But for the holidays, there are a couple of different cookies that I enjoy making. One is a bourbon bar, which is very simple. You make a, in a eight-inch pan, a batch of brownies, and you pour bourbon over that when it's cooling, and then you make white frosting and put a little bourbon in that to make it creamy and pour it over that and let it harden in the refrigerator, and then you melt chocolate and pour it over that, put it in the refrigerator. And I have learned that the earlier in the week that you make it, the better that they come. I they, bet you have lots of friends <laughs> serving those. those. <laughs> you cut little slices of it. But I couldn't be on this show without saying oatmeal chocolate chip are my all-time specialty and favorite. Thus, my email is mschocolatechip. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am also a baker. Something that I have started making in the last six or seven years that I enjoy making because everybody's always surprised when I make it is homemade marshmallows. And they're not hard to make at all. And everyone is always like, you can make marshmallows at home? And you certainly can. And they're not hard. And they taste much better than the kind that you can buy at the store. And they're really great to put on hot chocolate at holiday time. Joan, what is the top bird species that you get excited about when you see them in your yard? Well, hands down, it's hummingbirds. For a at least the past three years, I'm pretty sure I've had the same family. It's the daddy bird who's like cray cray, and, <laughs> and then the mother bird who just like is puffing up, puffing up, puffing up, and then you don't see her for a while, and then pretty soon two little hummers are coming along, and I've seen their flying lessons from just sitting on my deck, and I have planted all things red there. So my grandchildren are, they really know. I whisper, hummingbirds, you know? <laughs> and then my husband, he'll come home from a bike ride and he sits there and he goes, do your hummingbirds talk to you? They were talking to me. And I go, yes, they do. So my bird friend assures me that it could be the same family that's 
returning. So yes, I didn't know that. yes, the Hummers. So Mary, last question here. You are a volunteer extraordinaire. Now that you're retired, you still volunteer for several organizations, including Habitat for Humanity. What is the top construction job that you enjoy doing when you help to build a house? I have been a Habitat volunteer on and off since they started. When I retired, I decided I wanted to volunteer uh, one day a week and be on a regular build team. So I could perhaps learn a particular skills. So I'm really in the learning phase. The crew that I'm on, they're wonderful. They're predominantly all retired men. There are two, two other women on the team who really know what they're doing. And so when I show up, it's almost like, how would you like to do this today, Mary? It's, I don't want to say it's something that nobody else wants to do, but it's a way for me to learn. But the one thing that I like painting and I have a pair of paint pans that I, instead of using a rag, I just wipe my hands on. <laughs> and I wore them recently. I had a stop in at Metri and Ideway after a day at Habitat, and somebody said, where did you get those designer pants? <laughs> so I like to do the cut-in, which is around yes, the top. Yes, which, which most people no don't. one wants yeah. to do. So it is always from the first house I worked on to see others get their home. What is the American dream? It's just really fulfilling to me. And most recent house we worked on, to see the determination. She worked at a child care center, and so she took Fridays off and would come and work on her house. And just her enthusiasm when it was completed was wonderful. And so that's what keeps me going as a Habitat volunteer or the many other places I volunteer in the community. Well, that's what it's all about. Well, this has been a very feel-good show, Amy. Yes, it has. <laughs> yes, it has. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for coming and talking to us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Thank Carrie, you, Amy. Thank you. Mary wants our listeners to know that if you have books you'd like to donate, they can be delivered to Metro United Way at 334 East Broadway in Louisville between the hours of 845 and 430 Monday through Friday. If you need other times, call 502-583-2821 and leave a message for Mary Sullivan. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.